Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights. With your host, Steve Politi, and Rutgers insiders Keith Sargent and James Cratch. Let's start shopping. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the rant. Steve Politi here, and I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance if uh, I, I don't make sense today. My brain is literally a little foggy still from last night. I think Rutgers fans might be able to relate to this. Uh, I woke up with a headache after that experience. The noise at the Jersey Mike's Arena was incredible. Joined by James Pratt, Brian Fonseca. Um, Fellas, I, you know, I don't even know where to start. It's, in, it's just an incredible atmosphere, uh, incredible win last night, 70-59 over Illinois. I, I mean, I think the best incredible team, you know, this, this is no longer Rutgers doing something that it had never done before. You know, what this team has accomplished in the last two weeks is unprecedented in college basketball history. I mean, let me repeat that. Just, just never happened before. No, no unranked team has ever beaten four consecutive ranked opponents. Uh, it's, it's just considering where they were two weeks ago, it's almost unfathomable. Cratch, I want to start, though, just at the rack. And you had a great scene piece from, from that building last night, the atmosphere there. You know, it really did remind me of, of some great games I saw at Cameron Indoor Stadium. It was an elite college basketball atmosphere. It was. I mean, there was a scalper outside Jersey Mike's <laughs> Arena. Like, think about that. A couple weeks ago, no, a scalper. And didn't seem like he was a scalper who was selling extras. It seemed like he was trying to get them. There were no tickets available. Uh, the student section, tremendous. I mean, you can't get thousands of people to walk through the right door these days. And all those kids show up, except for the guys in banana suits, in black, embrace the blackout. They were in the game the whole night the fans were there it just it felt like we finally recaptured that essence of the maryland game in 2020 when it was just such euphoria and excitement and we all didn't know that we were about to take a roundhouse kick to the face in a couple of weeks but it, it felt like that night there finally and i know you know when they beat Michigan State, Ohio State, even Wisconsin, like it's, those were like great moments. But this was a validation that I don't want to say it's the greatest story ever told just yet, but they're getting to the point where it feels like something very, very special is happening. Right. And I, I, th- I, think, I think that part of the reason the crowd was the way it was was because of how the season unfolded. If they were just simply a good basketball team this entire way, and there was, you know, and they had didn't have that incredible fall early on. I mean, I think the fans are just sensing something special is happening in this turnaround. I think they rightly understand that they're contributing to it. 
in a way, like they understand what this home advantage means to that team. I think they can see it on when, when you know, you're, you're playing a, a, the probably, I think, if not the best team in the Big Ten, the second best team in the Big Ten, when you take that 13-point lead early in the game, it's it's the atmosphere. It's the crowd. I mean, that that definitely contributed to what we saw last night. Steve Peichel has obviously uh, done a great job since he's taken over of making the fan base and the crowd feel involved in a part of this entire thing, a part of the experience. Uh, and that obviously you saw the buy-in, as Cratch mentioned, the awesome atmosphere last night. The students packed the place with, you know, half an hour to go and they were involved the whole way. And that it seems like Illinois was visibly rattled uh, from start to finish. Brad Underwood eviscerated his team's lack of effort after the press conference, after the game in his post-game press conference. But it seemed like just from the jump, they felt the weight of the place on top of them. Uh, Underwood talked about how great the atmosphere was coming in. I'm sure he prepared his players, but no matter, uh, it seems to affect them. And I agree with the way this feels is because of the fall and the rise of this team. I think nobody would be surprised, maybe a little surprised, if the overall record had it gotten the way people expected, a great January, and they start falling in these games in February, it gets a lot harder. But they lost all the easy games, and now they're winning all the hard games. They're doing everything completely the opposite. Um, and they're in a position that nobody – and I mean nobody outside of maybe Steve Peichel, the guys in that locker room, and the seven or eight delusional fans who think Rutgers is going to win every game no matter what. Anybody outside of those guys, nobody expected this to happen. And maybe Andy Katz. Everyone else counted this team out. I wrote that they could not be in this position unless they did a run like Michigan State last year, like Providence two years ago, and now Rutgers is that team, the one team every year that has this miracle run. They're the darlings of college basketball. And uh, they might they might win the Big Ten. I mean – who knows? I'm not counting this team out. Not, not after this week. I mean, who knows what this team could do? Yeah, and you mentioned it's funny. Like, there, this really wasn't an example of, of people overreacting to one bad loss. I mean, it, you know, it, it was seven of them. I mean, it, it's just they were – there's so many games where, you know, when they lost to Maryland at home, like, well, that probably does it. And when they've lost at Northwestern, you're like, all right, where are you going to get road wins now? I mean, it really did look grim. You know, Cratch watching that team last night, what struck me about this was it just doesn't – it doesn't – it's not the same basketball team. You know, you've got you've – got, now it's running through Mulcahy. Paul Mulcahy has become – it's become his basketball team in a lot of ways. And and Cliff, big Cliff, he, he looks like an elite NBA center. I mean, that that's not the guy who started the season either, the way he played last night against, against Kofi Coburn. I mean, when, when you put that in, and now you're not depending on – you're not. it's not life and death for Ron Harper to score 27 for them to win and for Pugh Baker to shoot, you know, 8 of 10 or 8 of 12 for them to win. It's, it is just a completely different team. No doubt. I mean, I, I thought it was so funny during the press conference that Brad Underwood's like, you know, like, oh, all, all respect to Lafayette. But, I mean, Lafayette beat this yeah. team. You know, it's like right. a bunch of guys who been working for Goldman Sachs in a couple of months. Brad Underwood I was one of those um, – entertaining opposing coach press conference ever attended because he just was like, like, and I think Fonseca is right. Like it almost felt like one of those, like you go to an NBA game at the end of a back-to-back where they're like, you know, we're just not doing this tonight. Now I will say Illinois at the end of the game, they kind of like, Oh, Hey, like we're still, you know, first place in the big 10. You know, this, this is what we are with that little spurt when they cut it to nine. No, I mean, it's a totally different team. I think you're absolutely right. Paul, I think we've all expected Paul was going to become the face of the program at some point. He just, he took it over. I I really think that Paul emerging and Cliff has almost brought Ron and Gio back into the fold and everyone's playing better now. And Caleb McConnell is tremendous, you know, best defensive player in the big 10. It feels like it took them a while to figure it out. But once the light went on for Paul, everyone else followed. 
Yeah, and, and that's totally and what what he's been able to do. And and Cliff, I talk about uh, I mean hilarious Brad Underwood and this press conference. You know, after after we ask him about Cliff, and he essentially you know just talks him. Well, that's what a pro looks like. He's walking out of the room, and under his breath, he just says. And, and for my, I, for my hope, I'm hoping he, he better, he better declare. It's what he says as he's leaving. So if, if Cliff, if Cliff needs an agent, he can find one in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, but that stretch, Brian, that when he, when Cliff had the reverse alley dunk, which looked like it was a mistake. I'm not sure he was trying to do that. Like, I, like, why would you try to do that unless, you, <laughs> just, unless you're Dwight Howard? <laughs> what are you trying to? Do? It looked like it was a mistake. And then he had a left-handed bank shot for a basket and then the next pos- next possession he has a right-handed layup those are nba moves i mean that that's impressive what he's showing up. yeah i i totally agree i think um and i wrote this he's showing himself to be one of the best big men in the big 10 he's been consistently rucker's best player i think he's had the least amount of bad games of anybody on this team and now he's starting to have really really good games uh kofi coburn had 20 points but they were hard, 20 hard points Maybe he could have had more if Illinois you know, did the smart thing and fed him in the post more often because whenever he did catch the ball deep, he was hitting it every time. But Cliff made it hard for him. And Cliff offensively is – I had someone said this to me uh, a while ago. Cliff is probably the fastest dunker in America, the way he just gets up off his feet and at the rim. And it's hard, it's hard to guard. So, uh, And his game is evolving. And he started hitting mid-range jumpers midway through the year. He is um, – he's hitting – his hook shots are finally going in. They're not – He's not softening them as much as Rutgers probably hopes. He's still line driving them, but they're hitting the right part of the rim and going in. Uh, yeah, he's getting better. I think uh, Underwood said that he doesn't have to shoot. He can still make the league. I'm not entirely sure he's right. I still think he has to develop, you know, a, a long, a deeper shot, maybe a three-point. He, he flashed the three-point shot in last year, and he hasn't really done it much this year. But if he can develop that aspect of his game, sure. Uh, he's a guy that uh, NBA teams are going to take a chance on. And I wonder even, like, he'll probably test the waters in the offseason like most of these guys would, even if they have no chance. So I wonder how he'll look in these workouts and what kind of feedback he'll get. And because I got to think that uh, a lot of teams in the league are intrigued by a guy like that who is just so athletic. And, like, these NBA guys love potential. And I think Cliff Amori has has some of the most potential of any player in the country. So that will be something to watch. But, yeah, I thought he had a showcase game last night and was a big part of, of why they won and why they've been playing so well. Uh, this month. All right, the, we, let's let's address the big concern first, then we'll jump into true or false and hit on uh, hit on some some of the topics with the NCAA tournament. Uh, Ron Harper Jr. Uh, he didn't look good when he left the court. Uh, you know, holding his hand looked like he was in a lot of pain. Uh, Jared Carina reported that he said it's bad to his teammates as he's walking off. Afterward, less concern it seemed. He was out there for the alma mater. Uh, he's been tweeting, so it, it, he didn't sprain his Twitter finger, which is good. He was tweeting at annoying Lafayette fans during the game, uh, you know, after the, this morning. I mean, I guess you can say he's going to be okay. He's going to play Crouch. I mean, you know, you've, you've seen a lot of injuries before. Is your sense that, that you know, this is something I don't have to worry about? Or is it, it with a finger maybe more so than, we're, than, we're, than we think here? I think you always have to be concerned, like, with a finger – Absolutely, you have to shoot the basketball, and depending on which finger it is, it could be critical to your follow through and everything. That being said, the fact that he came out for the alma mater, seeming to be in good spirits, has been tweeting, had the hand wrapped, but I saw that an Illinois kid, not maliciously, just force of habit, muscle memory, kind of went to fist bump him on the bad hand. 
it seemed like he made contact with the hand, and Ron didn't like wince or, or or step back or anything. It wasn't very hard, so I think that's a good sign too. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think obviously he's got a couple days to rest and everything. I don't think it's time to panic, but you obviously have to be concerned about it. All right, gentlemen, let's jump into true or false. Fonseca, I know this is your first time in your official capacity here, taking over for Brian Fonseca for for, uh, for Keith Sargent, who. Uh, if he's not regretting this move, to but let's just let's just address that cratch. We get Sarge off the beat. Come up roses. I mean, it's like it's like just his just his dark cloud. Clearly, clearing that has just transformed Pescadaway into into a happy place. That was the he was the human Indian burial ground. That's what happened here. He was. It's it's all Sarge. It was all it's Sarge. It's all Sarge. It was all, always it's Sarge. Right. And now he's, you know, he's out investigating important stuff and we're watching good college basketball again. So thanks to, uh, thanks to Sarge. Let's say, you know, the rules here, true or false. We've got some, uh, got some good NCAA tournament topics. So true or false. Rutgers can lose its five remaining games and still make the NCAA tournament. Cratch, true or false? I'll say false. Monseca? False. Big false. Totally. I think fans who thought they got in last night are wrong. Uh, true or false, Rutgers needs only one to guarantee that it makes the field. It would be 11-9 in the Big Ten. Cratch, true or false? I'll say true. Ooh, okay, interesting. Fonseca? True. Oh, okay. I'm, uh, I'm going with a big false there. I think that would, that would, be, uh, that would be dicey. Uh, so then Rutgers still needs two wins. I'm going to go true on that one. You guys will say false. We'll talk about that at the end, what, what, what happened this morning with, with the dreaded net rankings. True or false? Big Cliff O'Murray is the biggest reason for Rutgers turning this ship around. Cratch, true or false? False. Ryan? False, but he's not far away from being the most important. Okay. Next one. True or false? No, dummy, it's Paul Mulcahy. Cratch, true or false? True. 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 I, I couldn't say false. And here, here comes the kicker. No, you're both wrong. It's Steve Peichel. True. I'm saying true on that one. All right, let's dive right into both those topics. That's really all anybody wants to talk about, and certainly the NCAA tournament. Um, so you wake up this morning after that win, you think, all right, the net's going to be in the 60s. It's going to be all looking great. It wasn't. It was. It wasn't a big move at all. Um, and I think fans who are yelling at the net, at the net this morning are kind of forgetting that it is really just a computer formula that takes into account the entire body work of the season. Uh, and, and Rutgers' body of work is not great. Brian, were you surprised that it didn't move? And are we making too much of that number here as we start talking about what this team needs to do? No and no. Um, I think people don't really understand the entire point of these things and how they work. Like, there's no guy in some back room in Indianapolis, like, crunching numbers to make sure Rutgers has a lower net than everyone in the Rutgers fan base wants. Like, it's, there's a computer formula that not everyone understands exactly what it is. Not a lot of people agree with it. Obviously, um, there are some flaws, but it is what it is. Uh, it's very important that Rutgers is where it is in the net. No team had made the net in the 80s or below, right? And Rutgers was way off that mark, uh, you know, three weeks ago when they were in the 120s. So it's important, and I think people should try to understand what the net is. A, a, a lot of the formula is efficiency margin, how, how well you play and how you beat these opponents. Rutgers won the game by uh, – beat, beat a, a quad one opponent by double digits at home. That's good. 
beating a quad one team on the road against, like, for example, if they beat Purdue on Sunday, will be a lot more important. There's a reason they jumped so much after beating Wisconsin on the road. Road wins matter. It's hard to win. Uh, as everyone that's come to Piscataway outside of Lafayette, Maryland learned, it's hard to win road games in college basketball. So you'll get rewarded for that. And the margin of victory matters. Rutgers played five teams in the 300s on Ken Palm. They went to overtime with one. They lost to one. And these are at home, mind you. So you have to perform well against bad teams. That's why Iowa, everyone's freaking out. They have a high net. It's because they played a bunch of bad teams and destroyed them. And whether you think that's, that merits a high net or not is a different question. But they did what they had to do against these bad teams. Rutgers did not. It's almost as if people forget that Rutgers had a terrible three months to start the year, right? So um, it, is, it is what it is. If Rutgers keeps winning, their net will keep improving. They'll make the tournament. It is what it is, but I would like for people to try to at least understand what the net and Ken Palm and all these great useful tools that have historically worked, understand what they mean instead of just whining that Rutgers is 60 on Ken Palm. Right. It was, it, yeah, it, it's, uh, and I, guess, I guess the one thing is you wonder how much they're going to use in Cratch. That, that's the other part of it. Because uh, it is a committee that makes the decision ultimately. Someone, someone somewhere is watching basketball and somewhere, somewhere, someone somewhere is watching this team and has to acknowledge that it's one of the best you know, yes. not 68, one of the best 20, 25, 30 teams. No, yes. It's a committee. But I think Brian's right. Like, these are, these are metrics to have algorithms. Like, it's, it's a whole season. The last two, you know, it's so funny because people rail against the net. They also rail against the AP Top 25. But here's a little secret as a AP voter. The AP's philosophy is kind of closer to what the fans want. Week to week, dramatic yeah. changes. This team looks great. Put them in the top 10 if you feel like it. If you think Rutgers is one of the 10 best teams in the country right now today, yeah. rank them. Do it. That's what they want you to do. But people hate the rankings. They're, basically, people just are not happy. That's what it is. Everyone's <laughs> out to get Rutgers, and they're not happy. You know, if, if Someone blamed – Someone blamed Polity and I for the net rankings on the rivals board. I, I was informed. I have so much to do with the net rankings, guys. Let me tell you. Um, I'm sure Rutgers is number one in, in Dickie V's ball dome index. So that's all that really matters. <laughs> so come back to the original point. If they go, if the, the thing is, if they go one and four, that number ain't, that, that number is not going to be good. It's not going to improve, certainly. Right? Can, I mean, can you well, imagine, though, so, if – if they have the best finish in Big Ten history as a program and don't make the NCAA tournament. Wow, that'd be tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be tough. The comparison to, to, to that would be Nebraska a few years ago went like 22-10 and 10 or whatever. They had 13 Big Ten wins, and they didn't make the tournament, but they had no good wins. The committee is not going to let a team that beat four ranked teams in a row beat four of the five best teams in the best conference in the country not make the tournament. Can you imagine after all of this, all, all this fanfare, all of this Rutgers being the darling of college basketball, if the committee just says, nah, you lost your last five games, you're not making it. They're, they're, because there's no bad losses outside of the, the Penn State game, right? So I, I just think that you guys mentioned it. The human element will prevail. These guys aren't machines. And, all, I mean, look, let's be honest. Like, Rutgers is a, a team that people are going to want to watch in March. Everyone's Wait, fascinated not, about Rutgers. Just to clear up, not at 10 and 10. You're saying that, that if they're 11-9 and nine in the conference, they will get it, is what you're saying. I, I'm saying they probably need to win to feel 100% sure. I think if they lose all five games, there's still a chance. I mean, it depends on how the rest of the bubble works. But 
No, there's no chance. I would, I would say there's no – I would be stunned in that scenario. I it's, really would. It's a moot point because they're not going to lose all six of the last games, right? Like, are they? Like, Well, they're where they're playing. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And I wrote this I mean, this morning, and it's funny, like, funny to think about it, Cratch, but what, te- what team has that week and isn't thinking – or those two weeks and isn't thinking, hey, let's win the whole thing, right? I mean, that, that's the broader point. They're only a game back. They just beat. They just beat the other four, the four best teams in the Big Ten. They already have a win against the other, the fifth team, the, the Purdue. Why not, right? I mean, the crazy thing is they lost three of those four games against the dregs of the conference. Imagine if they had like gone two and two or three and one. Not what they were supposed to do. They'd be running right. away with the Big Ten. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing. And one last thing I'll say is that what we learned from the net, if the net doesn't have a massive overhaul. The schedule has to change. No question. And if I'm Steve Peichel, just play all these big names. If you lose to them, who cares? You know, it's it's better to lose to a good team with style, or to basically like play Caldwell and win by seventy or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what the net is telling people to do. Right. There's no value to to trying to Lafayette your way through to a twelve and no or early season schedule. It just doesn't matter anymore. All right, but let's talk about Steve Peichel because I really don't think he's getting quite enough credit for what's happened here and um it's just when you when you look at it and what how this team has transformed itself there there is a coaching element here i mean uh, the first first part of this i thought watching this team against maryland and certainly in the first half against northwestern that it was just going through the motions that it was it was just all right well it had accepted its fate uh to see the way it's it just trend not just transport but the way it played early in that game with the effort, with the defense, I mean that is a that is a that is partly a coaching thing to get this team mentally ready to go out there against four straight top twenty-five teams and just punch them all in the face. I mean that was really uh, I, I think Peichel is not getting the credit he deserves for turning this thing around. Um, you know he he took a lot of heat early on from the fan base for for where this team was. I mean people were people were Rick Pitinoing on the message boards. I mean, when you think about it now, it's just laughable, right? And you're, and you're laughing, guys, but it's true. Think about where we were in December. They were, they were done with Steve Michael. And this wasn't just the message board fan base. You got, I got emails from people who were like, who I consider to be reasonable fans who were like, we need to really start thinking about who's going to take over this program in the future. I mean, it's nuts. It is. It is. I mean, <sighs> And I'm sure Brian will have thoughts on this. I think with, with, with Peichel, a lot of it's like perception versus reality. Like even today when we, we put out the text message, hey, we're doing the podcast, got questions. People are like, well, is this going to help us get better recruits? You know, it's like, <laughs> guys, like they're game out of first place in the Big Ten, you know, and it's it's still like, well, where, where's our sneaker deal guy? You know, it's like – Michael's gotten like six of the top 20 recruits in school history and his recruits have actually stayed at the school and done something, you know, people are like, why can't he recruit the top, the top kids in New Jersey, like Greg Shiana? Well, I think it's like he signed like four or five off the top of my head. I forget the exact number of the top 10 players in the state since he got here. You know, it's the whole thing is just, he's a great basketball coach. He, he, is, he is the perfect coach for Rutgers. I think it's become very clear that we, we knew he was a program builder. We knew he was a great you know, politician in terms of getting the fan base excited, connecting with the boosters, the donors, the community, all that. We knew that. Knew the guy could coach a little bit. I think we've seen he can coach a lot this year. And yes. I think his temperament was probably perfect with a team that, let's be real, it could have gone very bad. 
Right. You have veteran guys who came back for extra years, who some of their teammates went off to greener pastures in the portal. You know, you had a young team. You had some guys on the bench that were improving. It, it could have become a very bad situation. And he was kind of even keel, like Joe Torrey managed all the egos, managed everything. And look, now they've caught fire. He's Brian, the best way to say it, he's getting the most out of – I would say just about every player. When you get the most out of Dean Reber, when you get the, you know, when you when you start getting something out of these guys on the bench, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear that he is, uh, he's he's. You know, I I don't know what. Give me your perspective on what he's done the last two months. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it this morning that he should be getting more consideration for Big Ten Coach of the Year. I think if they finish top four, I can't imagine anybody. I mean, maybe Brad Underwood if Illinois wins the Big Ten, but he's had the best coaching job. He did the best coaching job of maybe his career this season. And he, I mean, the last two weeks is, uh, is unbelievable. One of the greatest stretches in Rutgers basketball history. And his candidacy will get a lot of help with the fact of recency bias because if the situation was flipped and this run happened in January and then the January run happened in February, I don't think anybody would be talking about, you know, Steve Peichel, Big Ten Coach of the Year. They'd be saying Steve Peichel, the season just collapsed on him, right? So the, the way the season happened helped – I mean, the, the, like Cratch said, if they had won the games they should, if they had, you know, beaten Maryland at home, if they had, you know, crushed Nebraska like they should have, if they had beaten Northwestern, they'd be first place in the Big Ten, right? So I, I he gets all the credit for the turnaround. Some of the, the early season struggles are – I mean, he deserves credit for that, for that too, right? But none, nonetheless, this could have gone very badly. Steve Peichel heard a lot of stuff from a lot of people. I wrote many times about his claim that this is his best team ever. It didn't look great in December. It looks great now. And he's remained even killed the whole way. He is, like Tretch said, the perfect temperament for his team that maintained the, uh, the didn't panic, didn't go too high. And now that they're really high, you know, he, he's maintaining everything. So I think he is a legit candidate. I think the Big Ten is on notice now after this week. I think the whole country is on notice. So, um, yeah, I mean, this has been a tremendous coaching job. And the fact that we're here right now talking about this, having this podcast about this is a testament to that. All right, let's dive into some insider questions. As always, thank you for, for subscribing to our website. Uh, very, uh, uh, <laughs> we've, we've ridden the roller coaster with you folks. So I appreciate you chiming in and give me some questions. Um, so we had a lot of questions about development. Um, uh, and I think that's uh, that's kind of a big theme here, Crouch. You mentioned a little bit about about what he's been able to do. Uh, and this was from our friend Mark Muscatoway. Maybe touch on how the coaches have been able to develop guys like Gio, Rob, Paul, Caleb, and even Dean Reber from not being the most highly recruited kids to what they've become today and what it says about the program. I mean, that's his model, Crouch. We, you talked about it a little bit, but that's this is this is this is what he this is how he plans on building the program. It's counter. I guess you just say it now, compared to the way things are going in college sports, it's not, it's certainly no longer the, the model most people use, but it's the way he wants to do it. Yeah, I think that's something uh, to add to what we'd say. Like, Steve Peichel is, like, he is very comfortable in his skin. He is the coach he is. He is a guy who is not going to drastically change his philosophy it seems and it's working for him you know i mean basically this is if as long as they close this thing out this is basically three straight ncaa tournament teams like at rutgers think about that yeah so you know i mean three in the last 40 years before that yeah exactly so i I think the development is great i mean i also think you got to give him i think the one of the things i've been most impressed about since i've been covering 
Peichel, is that he identifies these guys so early on in the recruiting process and he closes them out. Paul, Ron, Cliff, he said, okay, like, I'm going all in on this guy. And then he builds a relationship and he closes them out over four years. And you never have that situation like you see in other sports where, you know, you're, you're doing great with a guy and all of a sudden he blows up and, oh, here's Calipari's here. Coach K is here. Boom, it's over. We, you, you take him all the way to the one-yard yeah. line and it's done. He doesn't let that happen. He gets in, he identifies. He doesn't screw around chasing guys that are never going to come to Rutgers who don't want to be at Rutgers. He finds the guys, he identifies them, he gets them, and he develops them. I mean, he, he's, it's an incredible way he's done it. I think it's fair to have some questions about how sustainable it's, it's long-term. It's fair to have some questions. I, I said a lot. I think it's going to be a cyclical program. Maybe, you know, I thought it was going to be a little bit of a downslide this year. They're back up again, obviously. At some point, there's going to be a year where it doesn't all come together, potentially, and they struggle, and they're 500-ish, or they're sub-500. The big key is going to be when that dip happens – how quickly can he crank it back up? Well, here's the next question from, from Jamie in Sioux Falls. It, it goes nicely into this. Uh, uh, has the immersion of Cliff and Paul and Dean River to a lesser extent taken the edge off the fears of a huge drop next season after Geo Baker and Rob Harper move on? Uh, Brian, that's a great point. I mean, now you're seeing that, you know, and I, I talked to Mulcahy last night and asked him about it, and he admitted that there were times that he was playing into the perception that he is a role player. You know, then he realized, you know what? He wasn't a role player in high school. His entire career, he's been the star of a team. And he, he if he switched, flicked the switch or whatever he did, or if someone told him to attack more, to be more aggressive, he, you know, he, he's kind of had this moment where it looks like, okay, he could be a big ten. He could be a leading man in the Big Ten. We know Cliff can be. A, I mean, we've seen it. He is a, he's, he's got the talent. When you look at this roster going forward after the season, do you see the pieces now for this team to succeed? next year as well they have they certainly have a good foundation between those two guys assuming assuming they come back you never know with this modern era of the transfer portal with cliff if you test the waters and it's good you never know i mean I, I, i'm not reporting anything here i'm not trying to hit the panic button for any but i'm just saying always go into the offseason in this new era expecting the unexpected you never know that being said if paul comes back if cliff comes back if maybe even they get Caleb back, he, he hasn't made his decision yet. So he comes back. You got a great core there of proven guys in the Big Ten. There are a lot of still holes that I would point out in this roster. Uh, Gio and Ron are – I mean, Gio's not coming back for sure. He has no more eligibility. Ron's probably not coming back. Those are your two best scorers not coming back. So Paul is dishing like seven assists a game. A lot of those, a lot of those are going to go away if you don't find a guy that can score at the level that Ron Harper does, which is easier said than done, obviously. But uh, Rutgers will have to hit the portal and find some – Proven talent because, yes, the other guys are developing. Andre Hyatt showed a lot last night, had some great hustle plays that uh, were probably underrated by most, And but he, he hasn't proven himself to be a scorer, right? And Jane Jones, if he comes back, is, is he going to be able to take that step and, and score at the level that he was projected to as, as a recruit, right? A lot of those questions are unanswered. Um, can Steve Peichel grab talent out of the transfer portal? Can he replace it that way? Um, that'll be a big question. I think the foundation is there. I don't know if they'll be able to, you know, build a rock. Maybe this is the next year is the down year that crash talks about the, the, the cyclical part of it. Maybe it's the downturn, but the foundation is there. And um, as long as you have Paul McKay playing the way he does, Cliff playing the way he does, I think the floor is higher than, you know, the, the worst Rutgers teams. I think they could get out of the top the bottom four. Like certainly I don't think it'll be that drastic. It all depends on how, 
they rebuild the roster in the offseason and how kind of everything shakes out. Got to make sure Another, the coach is still here, too. No oh boy. You've been waiting for this, Brad. You, you, you've been looking for a spot to you've been looking for a spot to plug this in. The Rutgers fans right now are sitting there. Oh, everything's great. What, wait, what did Pratch just say? Wait, what? Look, what was I, that? I don't think Steve Peigel's going anywhere. But I've always said, if you draw a Venn diagram of mm-hmm. the places that would want Steve Peigel to be their coach, the places that Peigel would potentially want to be the coach at, fit him geographically, philosophically, and most importantly, the places that can pay him a lot of money. Notre Dame, Georgetown, mm-hmm. and Providence – all are like maybe the only three schools in the middle of that Venn diagram. And they all might be open. Mike Bray is rumored to want the Maryland job. Ed Cooley's having a trend of season in Providence. He's going to be in high demand. We know Patrick Ewing, uh, that is not, that's going to end at Georgetown. Peichel's got ties to the Big East. He's got ties to New England. He's got ties to Washington, D.C. Just saying. I don't think he's going anywhere, but I do think – Rutgers is probably going to have to sweeten the pot at some point soon because this could be the year where there's actually a realistic push nationally and his name gets mentioned. Just trying to prepare the Scarlet Knight faithful for that. Right, which is a good, which would be a good thing in some ways because you want your coaches to to have. Uh, yeah, but yeah, let's see what he does with it. Does he does he does he pull a, a playbook out of uh, Greg Schiano and 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 come out and get take that offer and turn it into something uh, more, you know, lucrative at Rutgers. That's, uh, that's, that's be, it'd be fascinating to watch. That's for sure. Um, all right. Ne- another question we had here, uh, two questions for about the atmosphere. Uh, that game was bananas in person last night. This is Joe at the shore asking, what's your route Mount Rushmore of loudest Rutgers sporting events? I love that. Great question. Uh, and then the second one was for the ACC SEC alums. I guess that's us Cratch. How do you compare the rack to uh, ACC SEC venues? Is it louder? I know it's dated, but how do the vibes compare to the Dean dome and Cameron as examples? All right. The first part of that, this to me was as loud. I mean, I hate recency bias, but it was as loud as I can remember the rack. I, mean, I guess, the Seton Hall win went against uh, a couple of years back was that 2017 was one that re- I remembered. Uh, I wasn't there for all the games in the eighties, obviously when Tom Young had it going on uh, overall, I will put this on the Mount Rushmore with the Louisville game, which of course is still number one in football and that Penn state game. The first year in the big 10 for me was just the atmosphere wise night game. It's just an incredible crowd. Uh, Cratch, am I missing anything that off the top of your head you can think of? So for me, my time to beat the Mount Rushmore would be number one, it, and it, it is still the loudest I've ever heard the building. Rutgers Princeton Wrestling 2019 Super Bowl right. Sunday when Ashnall took Kalazic to his back. That was the loudest I've ever heard the building. I would say Maryland win in March 2020. I would put two. I would put this three. Um, I haven't really been around for a great football atmosphere yet, so you have to forgive me for that. Number four is a kind of a, a weird one. It was not the year they made the – not the COVID year, but the year before when they played Minnesota on like a Sunday night, and there was like six, 6,500 people in there for a team that wasn't really going anywhere against a team that wasn't necessarily going anywhere either. I think that was the first moment where you saw, okay, this is not just a fleeting, fair-weather thing. These people are truly buying in to Steve Peichel. There's a real fan base here. They, there truly is something growing with this program. So I'll put Interesting that one. I've forgotten that one. 
Yeah. Uh, and the second part of that question, you know, I, I covered Duke the first two years of my career. Uh, they weren't good, but they certainly were still Duke. Uh, this was in the, in the mid-90s. This, I mean, this was a Cameron-level noise last night. The difference, of course, with Cameron is the, the students are on the floor, and that changes everything. I certainly, it's, it's more, not even, you can't even compare it to the Dean Dome, which is just a cavern of, of, of nothing. Um, but you know, and this is still the case here. I mean, the fans are in the in the end zone as opposed to being right on top of you. You wish you could move some of the guys. No offense, Ron Garuti, but kick your butt upstairs. I know you, you pretty much pay for the building, but get someone. You know, get, get if you could get those fans right there courtside, it would be it'd be it'd be that would change the atmosphere. It's obviously not going to happen in this building, but it does. You know, that to me is the one difference between. Uh, it's not just the noise in some of those places. It's where the fans, where the noise is coming from. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this is every bit. This was a fantastic college football, the basketball atmosphere. Uh, no question. All right, one final question from uh, the insider for you, Fonseca. Uh, where is this team ranked if they had only one of those horrific early season losses? I mean, it's interesting to think about it. Just take Lafayette out of the equation. They they beat Lafayette by ten, like they're supposed to. Is their net ranking in the 60s? Is it? I mean, how how much do one of those even one of those losses matter? In the net, they'd probably be. I mean, at worst, 15 spots ahead, maybe 25, 30. I mean, the, the Lafayette loss is is killer, man. It, it's season changing. Um, they'd be a lot higher. They'd probably be ranked in the AP top 25 after. I mean, they they might even be ranked next week after this Illinois win, regardless of what happens at Mackey. If they beat Purdue, they'll be a top 15 team. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell exactly, but they'd be in a lot better spot. That's for sure. Uh, their metrics, like their Ken Palm would probably be a, a lot higher. Cause you know, shoot, scoring, I think they scored at like 0.72 points per possession, which is terrible against one of the worst teams in the country. That's going to kill your metrics, obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, it felt like it at the time and, and, and as the season went on, it was proven that's a terrible, terrible loss to take. Uh, you could argue that maybe it shouldn't affect the overall picture of a season as much as it has as far as the net. But I mean, look, the, the, the response to that is just don't lose to Lafayette at home. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Most teams have figured out how, to, I mean, most of the Patriot league has figured out how to not lose to Lafayette. So I think Rutgers should have been able to, but I think that they have played their way through that. I think they've heard enough about Lafayette. I think that now that they're probably in the tournament, the Lafayette loss can be put to bed and we can stop talking about it and bring it up. And uh, I'm sure everyone, everyone would be uh, pretty happy to kind of never say Lafayette uh, around Rutgers again. Shout out to, by the way, Lafayette's head coach, who is retiring after the season. What a way to go out on top. Eighth in the Patriot League, a win over one of the greatest Rutgers basketball teams of all time. Hang your hat on that. Heck of a win. <laughs> Lafayette. This is the most anyone's talked about Lafayette since Hamilton debuted on Broadway. All right. That's a good – I like that. Let's do one. You should use that in print. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody, for your questions. I appreciate it. Uh, we, we, we love the interaction with you guys on The Insider. Subscribe now if you haven't. Uh, all right. We have a few more other things to talk about. Uh, first, we would be remiss, and we should have done this earlier, but it, it's been a couple weeks now. We didn't uh, acknowledge the passing of Bob Mulcahy, the former Rutgers athletic director. Uh, and, and, you know, as I, as I wrote in my column, really the partner for building that football program from where it was in the basement with Greg Schiano. Uh, the two of them 
you know, Greg Shannon has gotten a tremendous amount of credit for what he did to take that thing from the worst division one program in the country to a top 10 status for a while there and a regular bowl team. Uh, Bob Mulcahy has not gotten that same level of respect, but he was there. He's the one who hired, identified and hired uh, Greg Shannon, one of the people who fought for all those early in those early days when, when, when it was so much harder to get anybody to commit the resources to that program. He was the one who was, who was fighting in the trenches to get uh, to beat the resistance on the campus, to do it, to get to, to get the donors to give money, to redo the Hale Center, and eventually uh, the commitment to re, to expand the stadium. Cratch, I, I guess when you're looking, when, you, when you've read the tributes from Bob Bob Mulcahy of the last uh, couple of weeks, has anything jumped out at you that, that you know, that surprised you about his legacy? Look, I, I've always found the history of Rutgers athletics just to be fascinating because, you know, you, at the time in the 70s where you kind of decide, okay, we're going big time, but they did absolutely nothing that would go along with going to the big time. It was almost just like, hey, we're going to be big time. We're going to go play all these guys right. now. We're not going to do anything like what they do, but we're going to do it. Yeah, And then Bob finally gets here and was like, okay, 20-something years, you haven't done anything that has to be done in order to be big time, so now we got to do that. You know, I think that's – that, I think, is, is his greatest legacy, is that he is the guy who basically was like, people, like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, we, we got to do something here. Like, you can't just – you know, you can't just wish this into existence, which it felt like for so many years Rutgers was just doing. Um so I think that's what his legacy is going to be. He obviously he hired Greg Schiano, as I wrote. Even you know, just as important, he hired Scott Goodale. Yes. I think that's something that you know they're not in the Big Ten without an expanded you know football stadium. Of course, the Big Ten's also never invited a team, a school that doesn't have a wrestling program. And if he doesn't hire Scott Goodale, there might not be a wrestling program. So right. which would have been. Oh, suicide in New Jersey, much less to the Big Ten future. So I think that's his greatest legacy is that he is and it's and he got a lot done. You know, obviously his tenure ended controversially and although as you wrote it kind of seems quaint now that that's what people were, were dealing with, you know, given how the sport has changed so much. Uh, but I think that his greatest legacy is he is the one guy who finally, and I, I still don't think everyone in New Jersey understands what it takes to be a big time college sports program, but he's the guy who finally got the ball moving in that direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it is, it, it, you mentioned that it is weird to look back on it now, but yeah, it's, it, it uh, certainly, given the way Kyle's spending has exploded the way everyone is now getting paid with the NIL. It is kind of amazing to think that there were some, there was, you know, that financial stuff was his undoing, um, you know, and I don't think he really, really ever got over the way he, he exited either. I think that bothered him for, for, for years to come, but it was nice to see him back there uh, with, with Greg Shannon, even before Greg got here, get, got back to see him in the building and sort of uh, being part of it again. Uh, and I think that certainly his family and uh, appreciated appreciate that uh, in his in his last few years. All right, football developments. Anything happened in football? What's going on with football? This was a quiet couple of weeks, right? Am I not wrong about that? Yeah, just waiting for the coaching staff to be finalized. Um, yeah, they got one open spot left. You know, it seems like it's taking a little while, so we'll maybe we'll see how that gets finalized. But yeah, I mean, it's all quiet. You know. Recruiting's over. Staff is based enough for the most part now, which is waiting for spring practice to begin. And then, um, you know, it's going to be a really fascinating season for Rutgers. You know, obviously what they could do, quarterback between Bedrill and Wimsat. But obviously, you know, with, with the transfer portal additions, I, I can't remember, the, like, when the last time we talked football on the podcast was, but with Taj Harris, with all the offensive linemen, this feels like a 
big portal year for Greg Schiano. Like the portal yeah. is going to make or break where this team goes in 2022. It'll be interesting to see what direction it does go. I told this, I didn't tell you this scratch, but I told Fonseca this, that I, I almost, I almost, after the wrestling loss to Ohio State, I almost said, let's have a podcast this week just so I can say, what the hell happened with the wrestling team? But then we, we, we both decided that really wasn't going to sustain a 45 minutes worth of show. Um, what happened with the wrestling team, though, now that we're here? Yeah, you know, like it, I, I was out. I was away with my beautiful fiance, who was honored and spoke at her alma mater, Richmond. So I was down south. But that was the moment where, they, like, you know, when, when Anthony Clark wrestled a backup, is that a real, you know, fighting hard all year long, 165, when he gets the win, I was like, okay, they're, they're going to beat Ohio State. You know, of course, the, the, the one time I'm not in the building that Fonseca goes, they're going to have the biggest win in program history. But, you know, look, they're struggling at 85 and 97. You know, John Posnanski, Greg Bolsack, you know, Bolsack kind of bounced back. It, you know, it's, we have a big rivalry match with Princeton on Friday night. They should beat the Tigers, get the trophy back after the Tigers beat them for the first time in 30 years back in 2020, right before the pandemic began. But it's a big test, obviously, for Poznanski, for Bolsack, get those guys going, you know. But at the same time, too, Sebastian Rivera has been like, arguably the most dominant wrestler in the country. So they've got a lot of good yeah. things going on there, too. I still think this is a team that's going to send, you know, six or seven guys to Nationals, have, you know, four potentially four All-Americans, first time in school history. Rivera's a national title contender. You know, Poznanski and Bolsack, you Interesting weights. You never know what could happen. Van Brill, obviously, and a top 10 finish in Nationals. So they, they still have a lot going for them. But, man, that would have been a big moment they've been waiting a long time for to beat Ohio State. Fonseca, this is a good question for you since, we, you know, since we're going to have you at the end of these podcasts trying to, to fake a conversation about other sports. Where is, your, where is your wrestling knowledge? We know you are. If we have to talk about the unlikely event, we have to talk about Portuguese soccer. We're, we're, we're covered. On a scale of one to ten, where would you put your wrestling knowledge? Because mine's about like a two and a half now, just listening to Cratch. Where would you put yours? Well, I'd rather not talk about Portuguese soccer for the foreseeable future after uh, the week just the week we just had. But wrestling, I don't know I, what that means. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I don't want to get into it. Uh, we had um, wrestling. I'm I'm okay. I kind of understand how the sport works. I can. I knew what was going on while I was there. I wasn't just nudging the guy next to me like, "What was that a takedown?" Or I know what's going on. I just uh, – I don't know the landscape of the place. I know Iowa is one of the better programs in the country, Oklahoma That's State, yeah. Penn State, all that good Got stuff. That. Um, but, I mean, I couldn't tell you the technical stuff. I can't tell you about leverage and why this move works with that move and what you should do. But, you know, I, I, I think I can hold my own. I'm not trash, but uh, I can uh, – You're like a four, four or five. We'll put you on the scale one. To let's five. call it a five. Ad, bang average. Five? Let's call it that. Give you yeah. a five. Okay, that's fair. All right. Uh, well, that's good. All right, so we will be back to talk probably next week. I mean, there's, obviously they got the game. They got the game in Purdue. They've got then they go to Michigan. This is an exciting basketball week. Uh, you, you know, we have a relevant March. No matter what happens in the next games, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and we'll be back soon to talk about it uh, for Kratz and Fonseca, for everyone from the insiders, for Devco. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.